Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 4, Episode 8, Postnatal. The mid-afternoon sun slanted through the dining hall windows and illuminated the two boys, Petey and Warren, hunched over large bowls of rice and beans, shoveling food into their mouths like it was some sort of carnival eating contest. Paul looked beyond the kids at the bullet holes in the glass panels of the front door and immediately began thinking about how to fix them. One of those boomers at the zoo probably knew how to fix and remortar a window. But should he bother? Was it even worth it now? He felt like the proverbial little boy with a finger in the dike as the world slowly shattered around him, and he was worried about some cracked glass. His default response, his civilized response, was to repair. But in truth, there was no keeping up. If what these kids were saying about the world outside the campus was true, the necessity for survival was quickly crowding out the niceties of maintenance. The kids were only a decade younger than the undergrads who had survived here, but they seemed so different, like they were members of a splintered tribe or raced from a different culture, from a different world. He thought of them as kids because of their age, but wondered if that was even a way to measure maturity anymore. They had probably experienced more surviving in the last nine months since the virus hit than many of the baby boomers had in their whole lives. Rules were changing. These weren't kids anymore. They were men, desperate, feral young men, and they were starving, and that made them dangerous. History tells us that hungry men are dangerous men. Hunger scrapes off the veneer of civilization and replaces it with a desperate fanaticism focused only on survival. These kids, these men, were surviving like maggots in the dead body of civilization lurking in the shadows, emerging at night from under the rubble and trash to scrape together what existence they could. 
Overhead fluorescent lights glared down on the scene, painting pallid yellow institutional brightness. Paul looked towards the broad front windows that opened onto the campus street. Even with a bank of clouds rolling in, there seemed to be sufficient light from the afternoon sun for them to conduct their business. Paul motioned to one of Mac's men to switch off the lights. Were they so entitled with their generators and fuel and food stores that they could carelessly waste power? The contrast struck him, and for the first time it also struck home the fact that the outside world was devolving faster than they had thought, faster than they had imagined. Here they were living privileged and easy on the campus, says Elsewhere, civilization rapidly ceased to exist. They were living in a bubble. The imbalance of the situation worried him. The urgency of it gave him anxiety. He would need to work faster. And it brought home that their situation here was becoming untenable and dangerous. Time was running out. If these kids had figured out there was food and sustenance to be found here, how long before some larger, organized gang would as well? They had managed to avoid the invasion of the king, but things were changing. They weren't going to be able to sit out the next spasm of chaos and violence as it rippled across the land. It would find them. Damn it! He was going to need to protect this place better, and that meant diverting energy and focus away from the project. The project. Just when he... They... They were getting close to a stable solution, but things were changing, getting more urgent. Now... They had to find an answer. Maybe this rapidly devolving world changed things. Maybe this could help them find a usable solution. Less old structure to work around meant fewer model constraints and a faster convergence. Yes, he thought. We're coming to a decision point. We are either going to find a solution and make it work, or we will need to abandon the project and fight for survival like these dirty kids gulping food. But could they abandon the project? That would mean sacrificing the future to survive in the chaos of the now. The older kid, Petey, finally lifted his head from his bowl, put down his spoon, and reached for a glass of water. He drank the food down into his gullet with a satisfied swallow, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand, and looked around, as if for the first time, realizing there was more to the room than just his bowl of beans and rice. Paul took this pause in eating as an opportunity to engage him in a conversation. 
He had some questions for them and had been waiting for this moment. The old man was there, too, and Paul could sense his father also waiting for a chance to jump in and interrogate the boys about the baby. To forestall this, Paul caught the old man's eye and gave him a signal to hold off for now. The old man didn't look pleased, but nodded and swallowed his question. Paul started. Petey, right? Yeah. The kid responded tentatively and did not make eye contact. How's the food? Paul asked, looking for common ground to start a conversation. Good. Petey responded, noncommittal, but letting a satisfied smile sneak out before he caught himself and resumed his suspicious manner. He made a point of inspecting the bandage on his arm from where the dog bit him. Warren here tells us you've been surviving down south. Petey shot Warren a look, and the younger kid became very interested in his food, not looking up. Paul continued, Look, we don't want anything from you. We just want to know what the situation is like where you came from. Anything you can tell us. Petey eyed Paul for a few moments. The situation, he repeated, chewing on the word like it was a dead bug he'd found in the rice. The situation is shit. And we need to get out of here and get back to Brittany. I appreciate that. You can leave soon enough, but can you give us more details? How many people are left? What are they doing to survive? Is there any government or organization that you've seen? Petey thought. He leaned back in his chair and addressed Paul directly with narrowed eyes. If I tells you what you want, will you let us go? Paul smiled. Of course. We don't have any reason to keep you here. Can I get my gun back? I'll have to think about that, Petey. You did shoot at us. I needs my gun. Why? Petey smiled again and spoke to Paul like Petey was the adult and Paul was a five-year-old. Because, you stupid shit, we need to protect ourselves. Protect yourselves from what? From everything and everyone, mister. Petey responded derisively. Thems that don't want to kill you want to rape you and take your shit. I've even heard of people eating each other. Paul expressed empathy. I'm sorry you had to go through all that. I really am. Is it like that everywhere? Not at first, Petey said. But it's been getting worse the last couple of months. People are running out of stuff. They're getting meaner. Like the old rules are all gone and it's just a free-for-all now. Petey continued with a story. Me and Brittany were down outside of Tallahassee when everyone started dying. Our families died. Everyone died. Even her mean old man. But we kept each other alive. 
Then we moved north to get away from there, find some place better. When we got to Montgomery, it was on fire, and the survivors were killing each other, like some sort of race war, buildings burning, everybody killing everyone else. That's where we picked up Warren, and we kept moving north, till we got to a place we could hide out for Brittany to have the baby. Tell us about the baby. The old man interjected excitedly, not being able to hold himself back when the topic of the baby came up. Paul shot him a warning glance. Not much to tell, Petey said suspiciously. Why you care so much about my baby anyhow? You some sort of creep? Paul addressed Petey before the old man could follow up. No, nothing creepy. He's a doctor. He gestured to his father, who was leaning forward and obviously champing at the bit to interrogate the kid. He's interested in finding a cure for the virus, so babies like yours will survive. Doctor, lawyer, preacher, it don't matter anymore. I saw a cop shoot a kid for a bag of dog food. Paul asked, why are people starving? Isn't there canned and packaged food left? There was, Petey replied, but the easy-to-get stuff is all gone. A lot of what's left has gone bad, and the rats are a problem, especially near the cities. The room fell quiet. Everyone took a beat to process this new information, rolling that scene of wholesale carnage and pestilence around in their heads, trying to make sense of it. Bill, the dog, was lying on a pile of old towels that the younger kid had used to dry off. The dog stood up and stretched. He walked slowly over and laid his head on the old man's lap. Petey watched the dog cautiously, eyes tracking Bill across the room. That's some dog you got there, mister. The old man spoke, rubbing the big dog's head. This is Bill. He's a soldier. But don't worry. He won't hurt you unless I tell him to. The old man continued in a conversational tone. Like Paul said, I'm a doctor. I'd like to ask you some questions about the baby, if it's all right. Sure. Petey said unconvincingly. Tell me, was she pregnant before or after the virus hit? The old man began. Petey blushed and looked at his empty bowl. I, I, uh, I ain't sure. The old man realized his mistake, asking personal questions in a room full of people and tried to recover. Okay, never mind that. How old is the baby now? Is it a boy or a girl? How's it doing? Petey brightened. She's just about a week old. We named her Sybil after Brittany's mom. She was a little sick at first, but mostly just hungry. That's why we came here, to get some food for Brittany. A hard look came over Petey's face, and he stated firmly, We gotta get back. Brittany needs us. Can we go now? I'll go with you. The old man stated just as firmly. What? Paul said, surprised. I'll go with them. I'll examine the baby and the mother. Make sure they're okay. 
Bring them some food and bring them back here, if they want. Paul looked around the room and realized his authority was about to be tested. Can I talk to you alone? Paul and the old man stood on the concrete stoop outside the dining hall. The old man inspected the bullet holes in the glass of the door with his finger. He turned to Paul and said, I've got to see this baby. It's our first clue, our first lead to how this thing affects kids. Paul responded, You can't go. We need you here. Let me send a team and we'll bring them back. I appreciate your concern, Paul, but A, I need to do this, and B, you can't stop me. Paul calculated in his head the cost of making his father stay and decided it wasn't a hill he wanted to die on. I figured there'd be no changing your mind, but what do you hope to accomplish? Don't you see? We can get some insight on how immunity is passed from the mother to the child. That will give us a starting point. I need this information if I'm going to beat this thing. Paul knew he had already lost the argument, but wanted to state his case anyhow. What if you get killed by a roaming gang? You're only half healed. Use your head. In what world is you going on this potentially dangerous adventure? A good idea when we need you here. I'll be fine. You don't need me. You've got Giorgio. I know my way around the apocalypse. I've got Bill. Plus, I can do some scouting while I'm out. Find out what's going on out there. Bring back information that we can use to protect this place for your project, too. Paul grimaced. Okay, you can go. I can't stop you, but I'm sending people with you. Fine, just make sure they can keep up. The old man turned to leave, but was already planning. I'm going to need to pack supplies. What do we have for vitamins here? Just ask Mac to get you what you need, said Paul, resigned to the single-focused ball of energy that was his father on a mission. Paul watched the old man go back inside. Bill, the dog who had been patiently waiting inside the door, greeted the old man with a nuzzle as he shuffled past to talk to the kid some more. That crazy old bastard is going to get himself killed, Paul thought. But his father had always been like this. Once he had a purpose, a mission, he would stick to it like a dog with a bone until either he completed it or dropped from exhaustion in the process. Paul fingered the bullet hole in front of him and thought about the evident rapid unraveling of the world. Was it too late? Did he still have time to find a solution that would take the world into a better future? It would be good to have more data about the state of the outside world, Paul thought. If it is as bad as the kids said... Then things are deteriorating quickly. How long before all vestiges of the old, civilized world are gone? Months? Years? 
Paul knew this meant he would need to change the input assumptions on the max model to take the new information into consideration. He was already making progress with the new ideas his father gave him. They got past the sticking points. He modeled a certain level of constant challenge to give people positive stress and purpose, and that had given the future states more stability. He modeled their cultural states as well. The solution that was emerging was more akin to a religion than a government, but it was producing a sustainable, stable output. He could work with that. Now, with this new rate of societal decay as a starting point, he could accelerate the time to solution. Wouldn't people be more open to a new way of life, a life of stability and progress, if they were fully immersed in apocalyptic chaos? This was his opportunity to make it all work and build a better world for all humanity. It would work. He just needed a bit more time to tweak it. And he needed some sort of trigger event, some leverage, some seed to kick off the process that would lead to a new, better future. And it needed to be implemented soon because they were running out of time. Civilization, as they had known it, was circling the drain and on its way down. He had to find a solution and get it in motion before the chaos caught them. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Survivors. Welcome back to another episode. After the Apocalypse, I'm here with Ollie the Collie. You may hear his, his collar rattling, his tags rattling. Ollie the Collie, my baby. A.K.A. the Monochrome Menace. A.K.A. the Black and White Beast from Hell. Yeah, he's my dog. Anyhow, we're at... Episode 8 in Season 4. It is November of 2023. Happy Thanksgiving for those of you who celebrate. 
We are up to 432 Facebook members and are cruising along at around 17,000 downloads a month across all of our episodes. There's Ollie the Collie. It's interesting to look at the statistics because it shows that out of those 17,000 downloads, I would guesstimate that around 2,000 of you are listeners, that active listeners that are all caught up and you're listening to the shows every two weeks as I drop them. With disappointing slowness, I know, but hey, I only have so much time in my life. But I think the vast majority of the downloads there, they're spread across all the other episodes, which I guess means people are binge listening through the whole show and are at different points. So welcome wherever you are. Not that it matters to us. I'm just happy to know that there are living, breathing apocalypse enthusiasts on the other side of the microphone, on the other side of the table, paying attention to my odd ramblings been a busy couple of weeks for me. I'm a bit behind. Uh, yep, I'm running a bit behind, but I'm working to get back on top. There's a joke there somewhere. In the last couple of weeks, I took a trip down to Washington, D.C. to see my youngest daughter, and I also ran the Marine Corps Marathon, which was kind of awful, <laughs> to be honest, and wonderful at the same time. And this week, I had a birthday. So something about this aging process lends urgency to all my creative projects, right? I get it done before I die. I mean, if I'm lying cold and stiff on the side of the trail, who's going to finish our story here, right? Okay, so what have I been listening to? Good question. I took a suggestion from some of our listeners on the Facebook group. And I listened to the first book of the Infected Trilogy podcast. Now, this is essentially an audiobook by Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling author, that he reads into audio himself and then puts it out in, has, has put it out in a podcast format. So each chapter is an episode. And I had frankly been avoiding it because it's got a lot of content. It's a commitment. There are three books or seasons. And I worked through the first season as I was doing my yard work over the past weekend. This first season had 23 episodes and each was 30 minutes or longer. So you're looking at a solid 15, 20 hours of content to get through the story. But I did it. And first of all, Scott does a great job with the read. He does a fantastic job with the character voices and the nuances and some of the the sound effects. He did a great job with that. And the audio quality, it's studio quality, which is rare for podcasts of this vintage. And what I mean by that is this first season purportedly was recorded in 2009. And I was podcasting back then as well. And the technology was not great, so kudos for that good audio. And it's a proper book. He builds the characters, makes you care for them, builds the narrative, unwraps it slowly to get that reveal and that tension. Um, Definitely a thumbs up if you have the time and the energy to devote to it. And Scott has over 30 books to his credit in the horror and science fiction genre. Uh, I might have to reach out to him at some point and talk to him. 
get to know him. In a slightly different vein, one of the other podcasts I have listened to for a long time is the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. Now, this podcast is not going to be for everyone, but if you are a literature geek, you may like it. Basically, the format is the senior editor from the New Yorker magazine, Deborah Treisman. She asks a noted author of some sort to read their favorite piece from the magazine, and then they talk about it before and after. So it's a bit of inside baseball. The most recent one was Margaret Atwood. Yes, that Margaret Atwood, author of The Handmaid's Tale, reading a story from Mavis Gallant. And it was super inside baseball literary stuff, but I was out on a trail run at the time, lost in the woods, and I found it incredibly fascinating. Maybe it's just me, but I loved it. And I can truly say it was a pleasure to hear Margaret Atwood being a wise ass to Deborah Treisman. It's <laughs> just the um, the power dynamics were in the room were super di- super interesting to me. So anyhow, give that a listen. So what is Chris watching? I have a couple of excellent apocalyptic or at least dystopian humdingers for you this week, and I'm pretty sure you can find both of them for free on cable. I've watched them on Tubi for free. The first one is a movie called Mayhem, and this is a 2017 film starring our old friend Stephen Young from The Walking Dead, Glenn from The Walking Dead. Basically, we get to be a fly on the wall when an office building full of high-powered lawyers gets infected with something that turns them all homicidal. It's a hold-my-beer slaughter fest with a sense of humor. I loved it. You should watch it. Next is Nicolas Cage. A Nicolas Cage, a Nick Cage movie that I can't for the life of me understand why this movie is not more popular and hasn't found a bigger audience. It's called Willy's Wonderland from 2021. If you like Nick Cage, you will love this. It is clever, it's interesting, and Cage is just wonderful in his role. It's campy and fun and gory. Just a wonderfully awesome movie. And with that, my friends, I will move you towards the apocalyptic, slightly dystopian exit. I do appreciate your support. If anyone needs anything, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know. As usual, there are a bazillion and one ways to support the work we do here. And I could use the support. It's all in the show notes. It's all on my website at oldmanapocalypse.com. Keep your energy drinks close by and keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.